Valeria Elliott didn't speak for 18 years due to her family dynamics which led to her being bullied and hurt for a large section of her life. Once she decided to start speaking, she had years of pent-up anger and was taking it out on the people around her. Valeria became aware of this and made it her purpose to help other people speak up and find their voice. This episode, you will hear Valeria's story about finding her voice and how she used it to help and inspire others. I stopped talking at six. It was a choice that I made because of dynamics in my home. And I didn't get my voice back until I was 23. Right. <laughs> so you, exactly. were mute, you were mute for just just over I, 18 odd years, something like that, 17 I, years. Yes, I only spoke when I had to speak. I got bullied. I got, I mean, I went through hell. When you choose not to talk and speak up for yourself, you go through hell. And I did. And at 23, I became a Christian and I really prayed and asked God to give me my voice back because I was tired of being hurt, abused, people talking over me, bullying me. I was tired. And my story is different because God gave me my voice back. But you have to be careful what you pray for, because when God gave me my voice back, I was a hurt, (laughs) angry woman. And I was going to get you before you got me. I was cussing people out. I was smart mouthed. I was, let's just say this tongue was dangerous. But then one day God allowed me to hear myself. And I'm like, I'm procrastinating. I'm protesting to be a Christian and I'm cussing people out and going off on people. That's not a good Christian walk. I went back on my knees again and I prayed and I asked the Lord to give me some balance. And I tell anybody, I am not 50, 50. I am more strong 65, 70, because you catch me on a bad day. You know, I might, you know, my tongue might get ahead of me, but I try every day not to be her because I was hurting people. I was doing the same thing to people they were doing to me, mm. you know, when I got my voice back. And then some years later, I found out God was like, your voice, this is what I want to use as your voice. I want to use your voice and your story to help people because there are a lot of people out there that are hurt. There are a lot of people who, especially women, who don't feel like what they have to say is important. And so they they do just like you. They sit back and they allow themselves to be hurt, talk bad to, talk down to, and they don't speak up. And my message is for anyone if you you your voice is important and what you have to say is important use your voice even if they don't like what you have to see here they have a right to walk away just like you have a right to say what you want to say yeah most definitely and and what was what was the reason why you stopped talking at six years old was there some kind of event that happened or you just made the decision as a six my my family dynamics right You know, what was going on in my home, my father was a yeller. He yelled. He didn't talk. He yelled. Mm. My grandfather was a yeller, Mm. except for to us, to his grandbabies. And my dad got it honestly. And, you know, I was just so tired of being yelled at and being fussed at. And I was the middle child and I was the chubby child. So I already had things going (laughs) against me as a child. And then, you know, my siblings would, you know, I would get in trouble because I I wouldn't talk. At one point, my father, and this is a funny story, my father thought something was wrong with my hearing. And um, 
He called my mom for work and he said, listen, you take her to the doctor and you get her, her ears checked. The day of the appointment, my dad called me and he told my mom to put me on the phone and he said, put her on the phone. And he said, your mama going to take you, get your ears um, checked. If nothing wrong with your ears, when I get home, I'm going to beat your yeah, <laughs> beat, your, beat your behind. I mean, you're you can turn this podcast if you want to, but I appreciate that you're trying to be a good Christian. So maybe beat your behind or, or whoop, whoop, you know, your backside. I don't know, whatever you want to go with. Yes. And then he, um, I went to that. Of course I went there. I didn't hear a thing. You know, I was like, I don't know, you know, because <laughs> I was six and I was not getting my tail whipped when I got home. So I didn't hear nothing. Mm. The doctor gave my mom some medicine, some kind of medicine drops to put in my ears and, and all that. So, but what I also learned how to do was to ignore people like you wouldn't believe. I, I could literally be sitting here looking you right in your face and wouldn't hear a thing that you said out of, you know, protecting myself from being hurt. It was like a protection kind of thing. And I will often do it. And my dad caught on. And then he started to make me repeat back to him, you know, what he said, because he realized that I was ignoring him because he was yelling. And, you know, it, I, I think the decision that I made made it a bit harder for my parents because they didn't know how to deal with a child like that. There was nothing medically wrong with me. It was a choice that I made and yelling at me is not going to make me start talking again. Mm. You know that you need to do the complete opposite. But parents, you know, sometimes they don't know how to deal with their child. You know, maybe if they had gotten me some help or maybe if they got themselves some help, then, (laughs) you know, I would have been talking. You know, my daddy wouldn't have been yelling and I would have been talking. But it went on through school, you know. I wouldn't talk and the kids would joke me, of course, because I was fluffy. I say fluffy and not fat. And, you know, it was it was a really difficult time. Yeah. Very difficult. I must admit, I, I feel like this is this kind of thing I hear over and over again is that, you know, the grandparents or let's just say the, the older generation. So people born around World War Two times, maybe a little bit somewhere, you know, up or down from there. They're really tough, really strict and kind of aggressive type people, but not in a in a way that's like always physically abusive. It can sometimes mm-hmm. be verbal. And then you get our, our parents generation, which will be, you know, the generation below that maybe baby boomers or, or whatever generation that is. And those generation of people, as much as they don't want to treat their children that way, they do because it's what they're used to and it's what they've seen mm-hmm. that works because they're like, I'm okay and I'm here. You said that your, your granddad wasn't really the same way with you, that he wasn't always shouting, always, you know, aggressive with you. What did that feel like? Or what did you think about that? Did you think, can I talk to him? Did you ever have like a trusted person that you would speak to? It was just nobody. No, but well, let me tell you a little bit about my grandfather. My grandfather was a um, functioning alcoholic. Basically, he worked Monday through Friday. Friday night was drunk until Sunday morning when he had to go back to work. Mm. But the thing about it, my father um, is 11 of them. And my father is towards the top, you know, the older ones. And my all his grandkids, all my grandfather's grandkids came along. My mother refused to allow us to call him by his nickname. All of his grandkids call him um, Big Apple. 
he had um, the story is he got that name when he was younger and there was a dance called the Big Apple and he <laughs> mastered it. He could do it. And so people start calling him Big Apple. That was a story that I was told why he was called that. Right. Well, all of my cousins were allowed to call him Big Apple because everybody else did. My mother said, no, that is your grandfather. You call him granddaddy. We called him granddaddy. All four of us. I have um, it's four of us. And that is the reason why he treated us the way every time he saw us, whether he was drunk or not, he would give us money. Hey, sugar and all that. So because we called him granddaddy and he loved being called that, that's why he was so nurturing and caring with us. And also when we would like me and my sister one time, we found him drunk in the bushes. <laughs> we went and told my dad, you know, we was like, granddaddy, come on, get up. You got to go home, you know, and we were there. And I think he remembered those times because of my mom and her family. We were very empathetic towards him. You know, we were very loving towards him, despite the fact that he was, you know, lit yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that comes from a, a a place that, you know, you might not ever get to know or understand because most of our parents and grandparents have lived much more life very than hard. we ever have. And and when we met them, when we met them, you know, we were a baby and they had been through, you know, let's say 50 or 30 or 20 odd years of life without mm-hmm. you existing. So you don't know what had happened to them or what mm-hmm. they'd been through that made them the person that you've met today or that you have come to either like or dislike as an adult. And I think the problem is with, with alcoholism is it's very hard to get people to stop because alcohol is, is part of a, a social construct. So it can be like, oh no, he's just having a good time. He's, he's doing this, he's doing that. And it, it, it can actually damage, you know, the, the family situations. It can damage your own, you know, health and things like that. So it's definitely something that I, I've kind of seen and gone to myself, man, if only there was a way to have this kind of more open dialogue with with the older generation about the mm-hmm. problems that they face, we'd be in a completely different place now. But I feel like nowadays it's probably, you know, there's a different climate for, for having these conversations, especially amongst people of our generation. It's, it's more like, hey, you're, you're drinking too much. It's it's not good for you. And, and you can have that dialogue. But with the, the older generations, it's like there's that idea of respect me. I'm doing what I want to do. You don't know nothing about life. I've been living my life and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's also a coping me- mechanism. It's easier to drunk so you drink, so you don't have to deal with anything, mm. you know. And I, I look at my grandfather and even my father and all them. They went through a whole lot. They mm. had to put up a whole a whole lot, and I think they had to, like, basically guard their tongue. They had to be careful what they say. They had no control because of the way the world was. But, you know, you get knocked back a couple of things, you hanging with your boys or whatever, you can be yourself. And that was a way for them to be themselves beyond who they were. You know, when they when you drunk, the real you comes out. That's what I understand. The real you comes out. And I just think it was just like my grandfather probably had put up with crap all week because he used to work on the railroad. And I know that he was talked down to. He couldn't make eye contact, you know, when he was born, all that thing. So from Friday night, he was lit all the way up, you know, because that made him feel good. That was a coping mechanism. You know, he didn't have to worry about anyone talking down to him or being ugly and nasty towards him because he was lit up, you know, and he was feeling good. No matter what you say to me, I feel good, you know. So I, I think that. And another point that you made is that 
I wish that parents would talk more with their children and share their experiences so that they know where they're coming from, why mom is the way she is, why dad is. It took me becoming a Christian, being able to forgive them, and then talking to my aunties, talking to you know my uncles and figuring out why is she the way she is or why is he the way he is you know and you know them being able to share some because my father is amongst the oldest in his family but my mom is the youngest in her family so I had like a you know a big side on on both sides and you know from them sharing stories and things with me I was able to understand them a bit better, but I wish it had have come from them when we were growing up to understand why they were that way. I mean, we did some things, but not, you know what I'm saying? The whole picture, mm-hmm. not just bits and pieces that they wanted to share, but like, you know, listen, I didn't know about um, being called the N word. I didn't know about, you know, some of the struggles only from TV. Yeah. My parents didn't really talk about, you know, the struggles and the things that they went through. They didn't talk about it. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you said that, you know, people that drink use it as a, as a coping mechanism or, you know, as, as a way to kind of get by and to feel like themselves. And obviously for you going mute or not speaking for, you know, the best part of 17, nearly 18 years was, was your coping mechanism in dealing with it. Absolutely. So, so you hit 23 and, you know, you're in that, that early stage of adulthood that that young woman energy is, is, you know, coming through now and you're going to yourself, well, why am I not speaking? You know, I'm out of that situation that I used to be in. I'm here interacting with the world, but I'm not actually putting my, my best self forward. So talk me through the first days, weeks, months, maybe even years of you deciding, I'm going to start speaking now. I'm going to start speaking my mind. Where did that come from? And what was the catalyst uh, aside from church? Or was it all church? It was it was all church. I, I, it was it, basically it was God because I... Once I start going to church and I'm looking at all these other people and they're speaking, they're talking. And it was also out of being tired of being hurt. It was, I was tired. I was so exhausted. I, you know, I, I think I got to the point where if one more person disrespects me or if one more person cut across me when I'm talking because my voice was very soft because I didn't have any confidence in my voice. It was none there. I mean, people say you have self-esteem. What is that? I didn't have a self-esteem. You got to remember when you're fluffy growing up, the children are mean. Them little, they are some (laughs) mean little people. (laughs) They are mean, especially middle school. They're just thugs, some of them, (laughs) not everybody. But, you know, I was just so tired. And then I was coming into myself, like you said, you know, I'm 23, I'm starting to come into adulthood and I'm, I'm starting to make decisions on myself. And now I'm tra- doing business transaction, you know, open up big, a bank, bank account, you know, getting a job, you know, working. I have been working since I was 16, but you know, now I'm getting a real job, getting my apartment. So I'm having to deal with people and you have to have a voice to deal with people when you become an adult. And you need to be able to speak up for yourself and not allow them to walk over you or, you know, talk down to you. And I was just tired. I was so tired. I think the day that I, that night that I got on my knees, somebody had hurt my feelings so bad and I was crying. I was like, why do they talk to me that way? I am so tired of it. 
And then the prayer came out. I was just, I had it. And then slowly I began to get my voice back and I start to feel good about myself, you know, meaning that when someone says came to me incorrectly, I was like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, who are you talking to? Now remember, I went from a zero <laughs> to a hundred. Yeah. So I'm like, who are you talking to? You talking to me, you slow your roll, excuse me. Oh no, the old her, the old Valeria, she is gone. Now, if you want to come to me correctly, you can come to me correctly. But don't you come in here with that bull. You know, and that was that's where I started, mm. even with my family. You know, I remember telling my older brother, I said, you can't talk to me like that no more. Now, when you can talk to me and especially I'm paying for this phone, you can't call <laughs> me on my phone and talk to me any kind of way. Mm. So listen, bro, when you can talk to me the correct way, you can call me back. Click. Mm. You know, and my family was like, who is she? Because they had been so used to the old me. You know, even in person when I w- was going somewhere, I'm like, I know you talking to me. You must be talking to the person behind me, you know. And and then, you know, and I remember being at a football game, a college football game. I was cussing somebody. I was laying someone out. And it was as if someone just turned headphones on and allowed me to hear my mouth, what was coming out my mouth. It bothered me all day. When I got home, I was like, oh, my God, is this what I'm representing to the world? Mm -hmm. Is this what I'm putting out to the world? Mm -hmm. And I'm professing to be a Christian. You know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but darn, I can be a little bit better than this because mm. I'm worse than people who are not Christian. I'm over here laying people out and I fell on my knees again. I was like, listen, Lord, you got to give me a happy medium. And as he began to give me a happy medium, you know, I was more aware of the words that was coming out of my mouth. And I got to the point that if I couldn't say anything good, I would just stop talking. And then I would regroup <clears throat> and then I would come back and say whatever I wanted to say. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's all about taking that that pause to, to allow your thoughts to kind of organize themselves. Otherwise, you're going to come out and say, especially if you're angry, that's the worst time to speak, mm-hmm. I find. Because you go, ah, yeah, you're this and you're that and you, 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 you. And realistically, when you're doing all this you, 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 you're, you're trying to distance mm-hmm. yourself from the problem. And, you know, it sounds very kind of self-centered and self-focused to go, well, I feel this way because of how this has gone and that's gone. And I would, you know, sometimes I statements feel a bit bit too much, but mm-hmm. when you notice when people are, are trying to argue with you or trying to get, you know, aggressive with you, it's always you, 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 you know, you, 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 and not I, I, I. If it's I, it's I'm going to do this to you mm-hmm. type thing. And how did you kind of feel once you had that that revelation, once you had that kind of realizing, that moment of realizing that what you're, what you're putting out into the world is not how you really want to be represented. Well, you know what it was? I realized that I was the same person that was hurting me. Mm. I was that mean girl in middle school that kept saying ugly and nasty things to me. Mm -hmm. I was that mean guy who would cuss at me or, or call me a name. I became that person. Yeah. Because of all of the hurt and all that, and I didn't have any kind of book or anything. Okay, once you get your voice back, you know, this may happen to you. No, I had to live through it. 
You know, I had to literally live through, there was no blueprint. Okay. You know, once you get your voice back, then you will, you may experience this, that, and the other. No, <laughs> you know, there was no one to talk to. I, I didn't know anyone who didn't really talk or somebody that was real shy because shy people are shy. They don't talk. Mm. So, you know, it's not like they go, well, Hey girl, I'm shy. Are you shy? Can we become friends? No. Yeah. You know, you, you keep to yourself, you protect yourself, you keep to yourself, you don't let anyone in. And mm. then you just walk through life alone, even though you have family, even though you may have friends. And I was one of those um, people, I didn't have a whole lot of friends, yeah. but the friends that I did help, it was more so them befriending me. And then we, you know, eventually became friends and I came out of my shell a little bit. But to finish answering your question, I just felt like empowered. I was starting to get self-esteem back. I started to get empowered. I started to realize, you know, what I have to say, that's important. You don't have to listen to it. I'm going to speak up for myself. And um, one thing that I, I, I want, you know, everyone to know is that even when you get your voice back, sometimes it's easy to go backwards, go back to that. It's very easy for me to go back to not talking. It is so easy. It's like a conscious effort for me every day. Your voice is important. This is your gift. You're a storyteller. You're a podcaster. This is your gift. Use your voice. Say what you feel. You know, it's in... I remember just a short, a couple of days ago that almost happened. Mm. I almost went back to her because some, someone that was close to me were saying things that hurt my feelings. I don't mm. know if they were aware of it or not. I didn't say a word. Mm. When I got off the phone, I thought about it and I was like, why didn't you speak up for yourself? Right. Why didn't you say anything? Mm. And it took me like a day. The next day I had to sit down with myself and I had to think about the whole situation. And when I realized and I analyzed it and I thought about it, I said, oh, my God, that wasn't about me. That was about the other person, mm. their insecurities. And they were trying to push things off on me because they were insecure about themselves. Right. That had nothing to do with you. So you don't have to feel bad. Mm. That person needs to get themselves together. And they ju you just have happened to be the sounding board, you know, where they were trying to make themselves feel better by trying to make you feel less than. Mm. And I'm like, I'm responsible for my own feelings. So I'm like, I don't feel bad. You know, I don't care. Now, maybe the next time they come at me a certain way, I most likely will address it because I realized that it wasn't me, that it was them. Mm. And, you know, and I use sarcasm. So I, I joke around and all that. And I would probably come back at them not in a mean way, but in a sarcastic, loving way. Mm. That's my new thing. Sarcasm, loving. Yeah. And I've, I feel like as well, maybe I'm speaking a bit kind of like ahead of myself here, but where you weren't speaking for so long, you kind of missed out on the nuances of having conversations with people and how mm -hmm. sometimes you might feel like somebody is offending you. But realistically, like you said, they're just speaking about themselves. And sometimes the way to kind of deflect that or, or to kind of make someone understand that doesn't always have to be confrontational. It can mm -hmm. just be like, you know, someone could say some kind of joke you're not feeling and then you go, ha yeah, but you know, da, 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 da. And then it's all dealt with. The person kind of looks at you and goes, oh, 
Okay, maybe I won't go there again, you know? Because <laughs> I definitely feel like it depends on the type of person, but there are types of people that always try to test you um, and push you to your limit because that's just what they enjoy. Some people thrive off the chaos of how much can I say to this person before it's too much? And that's what excites them. I think so. And, and what you're saying is true, but I also think it's your tone because I had to learn about my tone. I mm. really had to learn about my tone and I had to adjust it because sometimes it w- I was saying something that was very important that needed to be said. Mm. But if my tone was off, people weren't receptive of it. It's just like the person I was saying, you know, the other day I was having a conversation. I think if the tone had been different, then I may not have felt as hurt, but the 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 tone was more um, direct and more. <laughs> it was it it wasn't mean, but it was just so harsh and direct. Right. You know, maybe if it was softer, maybe if it was used like in a joking manner or whatever, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have come across so you know, to hurt my feelings. Yeah. But, you know, after that next day, my feelings weren't hurt because that wasn't me. That was them. You got an issue, not me. I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) And and how do you kind of help people to find their own voice? Because I'm sure there's there's a number of people out there who might have chose to not speak as a child, but I'm sure there's the majority of people who do speak, but they're not speaking up for themselves. So how do you empower other people to to speak up for themselves. One of the main things that I start doing when I start getting my voice back was affirmations. I made my own affirmations in my mirror right now (laughs) in my vanity room. Mm. I have affirmations that tell me that you are beautiful. What you have to say is important. It doesn't matter who receives it or not, but what you have to say. And I tell my stuff, I use my own voice to uplift my own self because you can't always depend on other people to uplift you. You have to uplift yourself. So I am constantly telling myself, girl, you might be fluffy, but you are fine. Mm. Any man would be happy to have you. I mean, I tell myself, you have the most amazing eye. Girl, your hair look good. You know, I'm constantly telling myself this. And that is one of the first things that I would tell any person. You need to tell yourself what you want other people to say to you, what you want to hear. I want to hear I'm beautiful from other people. I want to hear you have a great personality. I want to hear those things. So I'm telling myself that. And when you do that, you start to believe it. It's coming from you. Mm -hmm. It's coming out of you and it's going back into you. So that's one of the first things that I do. And then the second thing, you have to start worrying about what other people say. Mm. Everybody is not for you. You are not for everybody else. Yeah. So you and I look at the world in this way. I have my 10 percent of the world. Every person I'm supposed to talk to, every person I'm supposed to engage with, every person, they're going to come to me or God is going to send me to them. Those are my people. All the rest of the people, they're not for me. It's for someone else. So I'm not going to get offended if you're not for me because I might not be for you. So then I have to stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. What's most important is what God thinks of me and what I think about myself. That is the second thing. And once you start doing two of those things, you will notice you don't even have to think about it. You know, you'll start walking different. You'll start, you know, looking different. You'll start holding your head up and looking people in the eye. Yeah, mm -hmm, here I am. You know, you'll start presenting yourself in a more 
positive way, in a more confident way. And then after you, you know, you master those two things, then you go into actually walking into what you've told yourself and actually walking it out and talking it out. Make your put yourself in situations where you would normally be uncomfortable. And you know, you don't have to do a hard on because I'm not a um crowd person, but I force myself to be in crowds sometimes. And I have to do my internal dialogue. You deserve to be here, which you have to say is important. Girl, you're going to rock this because I'm a storyteller. So I've been on stage, you know, looking out in the audience and I'm like, why am I here? Like you here, you're here because what you have to say is important. And most of those people are going to hear what you say and receive it. And that's what I, and I show up and I just put myself in there. And most of the time, at the end, it is received so well, you know, it is received so well and you feel so much better about it. But if you never put yourself out, out there, you will never re- re- receive the rewards that come after you do the work. Yeah. And you've helped countless other people to find their own voices. Can I have an example of some of the people you've helped and, and kind of how you helped them? Well, usually what I try to do is um, I co-wrote a book and when the book came out, you know, um, I had people, I autographed the books and I, you know, I delivered them to them and everything. And one of my friends, she read the book and she was like, I can't, she didn't know that about myself. So what I did was I used my personal stories to help people. I use what I've gone through and I usually start with a story. So with her, she read the story in the book. Mm-hmm. And as she was reading the story, we were talking and she said to me, she was like, I can't believe that's you. And she said, a lot of what you wrote is me. And she started asking me questions and right. it was through my story. So I like on my podcast, I have all the stories on my podcast are my personal stories of things that are happening to me. And I feel like stories bring us together. Right. So when I was working in the public school system, people would come to me and they would have a problem or they they would want to talk to me. And usually the best way for them to get the point was always through a story. I would share a personal story with them and then I would sh- share with them how I made it through that situation. And immediately they would connect. Yeah. They would go, oh, my God, I did th- that same thing happened to me. So what did you do? And then I give them I tell them, well, well, this is what I did. You know, and sometimes it was wrong. But if it was wrong, what I did, I would say, yeah. And then I look back and I realized that was wrong. So I went back and I corrected it and I did this, that and the other. And I f- that always happens because, you know, we all are storytellers. We all share stories all mm. the time, you know. So I use that as my way to help them by using stories. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned that there was times where you may have done something that you, mm-hmm. you weren't so proud of, or that you kind of regretted in the future. So, so what would be one of your biggest takeaways from something that you would deem to be your your kind of greatest failure? One of my the one of my biggest failures were my relationship with my father because it took me a very long time to actually be able to sit down to share with him you know the decision that I made you know why our relationship was so strained 
And one day <laughs> we were talking and this voice came from somewhere, y'all. It must have been the Lord <laughs> that said, this is the time you need to speak up. I looked my dad right in the face and I said, dad, don't you tell nobody that? I said, that's a hot mess. And I was like, who said that, you know, <laughs> and I, I share with my dad and I wish I had, I had did it earlier in my life versus later, but I think timing is also key. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I wish I had of just really talked to my father a lot sooner than later. Yeah. Cause it needed to be done because that was one of the main reasons why I stopped talking. Yeah. And when you spoke to him, what what was that conversation like? Was he in a a place to receive that conversation? Because it's not every time that you're ready to, you know, talk to someone on that deeper level that they're ready to receive it or at least act on it or, you know, acknowledge it. I was scared to death. I was shaking and quaking, Mm. (laughs) especially when that came out. When I told my dad not to tell anybody, you know, what he had told me, I said, please don't tell it. I was like, who is in my head? I'm like, are you if you because it was my father mm. now i had mastered the world you know i uh, you know other people and you know even my family my brothers and sisters and all that but my dad because it was one of the sources that was very difficult um, he didn't know you know what what i was going to say anything we were just sitting there i believe it was either uh, it was one of the holidays and we were just sitting him and i was just sitting talking and then you know, I said to him one time, you know, I said, you really hurt my feelings. Mm. But what I didn't know, my dad was just as sensitive as I was, mm. you know, and I found out some things about him just as well by me opening up and I didn't come at him. I wasn't ugly and nasty. You know, I was, we were just having a real chat. And by that time, my dad had gotten a little bit older. So he was more receptive receptive and he had did some work on himself Mm. he realized a lot of things about himself and again that goes to timing because maybe if i did it too early he wouldn't have received it it would have turned out into a bigger mess but him doing some self-care you know looking at himself and saying you know i really need to work on my attitude i need to work on my tone i need to work on these issues allow open that door for me and him to be able to sit down and have a dialogue and him and I we get along great now you know we have great conversations we laugh we didn't used to laugh you know I would tell a joke because you know I'm a nutball you know I'd like to laugh and joke and all this he wouldn't receive that from me you know he was always so serious but now it's totally different yeah there's that phrase that hurt people hurt people you know even though it sounds like you're saying the same thing twice it's once you kind of take it and understand it he was just projecting how he felt inside outwardly. And I guess when you decided to come together and have that conversation or that moment where you decided to, to kind it, cause it is essentially a confrontation when you decided to confront him about how you felt, it actually brought more peace than, than what you was, you know, you were so scared of it for so long that it brought, it actually ended up bringing more peace than, uh, than, you know, drama per se. Right. And again, that goes back to being the right timing. Mm. The timing was the perfect thing. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know if I would have said something if that voice or whatever hadn't made me say that, you know, that line about, you know, don't you tell anybody, Hmm. you know, because that wasn't my norm with him. Hmm. And then I just said that and I'm like, who is this person? But then I continue on with it. And it was the Holy Spirit, you know, God saying, you know, this is the time now is the time for you to break this. And I remember one time um, my dad had called me and he had said something that hurt me to the core. Mm. And 
um, when I got off the phone with him, I was crying uncontrollably. I called my mom and I told her what happened. And mm, my mother was about to go into fist fighting mode. Mm. <laughs> she was hot. Her daughter called her hysterically crying. I called my siblings and, you know, I told them or whatever. And what was amazing, they had my back. But when I got off the phone with my my dad, I said to myself, now it's your turn. Mm. I am tired tired of trying to make this relationship work. It's all on you now. You've closed the door and now it's all on you. And I think my father thought about it when we got off the phone because he called me later and he said, well, can we just, you know, can you and I just hang out? Can we go out to lunch and can we do things? And then my father started calling me. And the most ironic thing about that is I'm born on my father's birthday. Right. And every birthday (laughs) I would call him to say happy birthday. After we had that conversation and, and, you know, him now having to try to have a relationship with his daughter because he cut it off, he would call me on my birthday before, hey, baby girl, happy birthday, before I could call him. And I think mentally he did that. He was Mm. like, I'm going to show my daughter that I want to have a relationship with her. He would come over and him and I would go and have lunch for our birthday. Um, My dad's way of apologizing is never through words. It's always money. So he would always put a little bit of money in my hand. Here you go, baby girl. You know, mm. that was his way of saying love. And I think a lot of men are that way. I, you know, fathers or whatever. Some of them can't use their words. So cash. And for me, it works. Thank <laughs> you, dad. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you very much. I accept your apology. A hundred dollar bill. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, and he he makes an effort. And I love that because now, you know, we're we get along great, you know, and, and I love this story about him and I, because it lets you know, although, you know, a person may have hurt you and make you make uh, a bad decision, but I can't say it was bad. I was six. I mean, mm. come on. I wasn't, a, I was a child mm. it, with a child's mind, right? Yeah. but for me to carry it on so long, things must not have changed, you know, because if things had changed, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have carried it on so long. But at the end, it was like full circle. Okay, now she's talking. You and your father have a great relationship. You're helping other people. But if you had not have gone through all the things that you've gone through, you wouldn't be able to help other people. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I was talking to somebody this weekend, actually, the weekend just gone. And we were talking about how you can choose to be friends with your parent as an adult. Like that's a choice that <laughs> not only you make, but your parent makes. Whatever happened in your childhood, you know, you can decide to put that to the side and even discuss it once you become more friendly with each other. But if you stretch your hand out and go, hey, I'd like to become your friend, mom, dad, you know, whatever, grandma, granddad, I'd like to get to know you as an adult, you know, less of this kind of you telling me what to do and more of you telling me who you are, what you do (laughs) and, and why you are the way you are. And that is a very kind of mature decision to make that most people don't get the opportunity to make because they're so caught up in their head, thinking about this, thinking about that, or just, oh, why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? And you can never really truly understand somebody until they understand themselves. Absolutely. And uh, it's funny you bring bring that up because one day I was in prayer and meditation and, and God had said this to me. And I hope this is something that I hold so dear. God kept telling me, he said, leave the past where it is. It has served its purpose. Mm. You need to move forward. And oftentimes we 
stay stuck in the past. I could have stuck, stayed stuck in that hurt and that pain, mm. but I would have never moved forward. Right. I had to learn from my past mm -hmm. and then I had to move forward. Yeah. And then, yes, we use the past as kind of like a um, a book or something. We can go back and read or look at and say, okay, I learned that from that. And then you move forward. You never go back and you just stay there. So you have to constantly move and push yourself forward and not to stay there. And something else you just said, you know, that goes back to what we discussed a little bit earlier about our parents and people sharing about themselves. Mm. You know, if your parents, you know, if you have issues with your parents, maybe if they talk to you more, maybe if they were more transparent, you would have a better understanding of where they're coming from. And in essence, it may help them because your reaction and the way that you respond to them will help them to see, oh, well, maybe, you know, as it, as you were saying with your parents, you know, they, that's the way they were raised. That's okay. But you have a child that is born right now. Mm. That was then. So you might need to change up a little bit because, you know, that's not working. Yeah. <laughs> you have a different child, you know, from 1962. This is no, this is 1994. Mm. You have a different child. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's very hard to, to open up that dialogue, but seeing as you are kind of an expert on this subject and this is something that you specialize in, do you have any kind of tips or tricks or advice to somebody who's trying to, you know, start those awkward conversations or, or open up themselves to, to understanding or, you know, closening themselves with people that they may have, you know, cut off or not have such a close relationship like they'd want to? Well, again... I, I use stories. I, and, and the reason why I think they're so powerful, because the Bible is a book of stories. Even as African-American people, we go back, our ancestors, that's what they lived off of stories. Mm -hmm. They share one story to the next story, to the next story, to the next story, to help you know who you were, mm -hmm. who you come from, whose you are. Yeah. And so a story is a great way to open up. If you sit down, let's say it's your mother and you're having major issues with your mom, a way to open a door is say, mom, you know, when you were five, you know, or if it's a holiday, what did you used to do when you were younger? You know, and parents, they love to share and they all, they may only share the good things, but that is a door that's opening. Mm. You're opening a dialogue and you're learning about your parents. So just sit down. I sat down with my grandmother all the time. She told me all kinds of stories. My great grandfather, he was a storyteller and didn't know it. And because of him, it kind of inspired me to become, mm. you know, because he told us stories all the time. And that's a great way. You just sit down, even with your children, you tell them stories from a book. You get a book and you tell them stories or Christmas time, you sitting around. I remember when I was little, this is what I got that bicycle. And I love it. That's a story mm -hmm. you're telling your children and you're sharing, you're sharing a part of you with your child. Same way with your parents. You know, sometimes with my mom, you know, I, I we were in the car, I was taking her to the doctor and I said something funny to her. And I said, well, mama, didn't that happen to you when you were younger? And she was like, nah, girl. And then she started talking about what happened. Well, I learned something about my mama that I didn't know. Mm. And it was through a story. Yeah, That is a great way to open up any dialogue, even a stranger. If you walk up to a stranger, somebody you want to know, sir, you know, you ask them a question and say, what, did you used to do that when you were younger? Mm. You just open a door and people love to tell and gloat on themselves. They will share with you right away. Yeah. 
that is definitely one way to open people up. It's something I've done with b both my parents and quite a lot of people in my family. I go to them, you know, when I was younger, I go, what were you doing when you were 21? What were you doing when you were 25? What were you doing when you were 30? And they, they sit and they think and they go, hmm. And they always start with the job. They always go, I had this job and mm -hmm. I was doing this and that. And then they, from the job, they go on to maybe if they were, you know, say with the romantic partner they were with now, or, you know, if they had kids, they'd be like, yeah, I was with so-and-so and I had the kids. And you know what? Then they start to smile because they start to think of the good memories. They go, I had my first son. I had my first daughter and this, that and the third. And it's really interesting to see how people will share parts of their life that they've probably never shared with anybody else or thoughts they've only ever shared with themselves just because you asked. Most people don't get asked this. People get asked the basic question, hey, how are you? And you go, yeah, I'm fine. You don't, you don't know how they are, really. You know what I mean? Right. You know, I, and I think it's one of those things where you can, if you tweak the questions you're asking people, you can actually build deeper relationships. Absolutely. Instead of, hi, how are you? You're like, hey, what'd you eat for breakfast? And they'd be like, oh, I didn't eat breakfast. And then you can go into that whole rubbish of, oh, breakfast is the most mm -hmm. important meal of the day and da-da-da-da. If you were to eat breakfast, what would you eat? Oh, okay. Hmm, I would have this. And it's a different conversation that begins from the, hey, you're all right. Yeah, I'm good. And and, asking open-ended questions that lead somewhere else when you open up when you lead with an open-ended question it leads somewhere else and even if you have a a negative relationship with someone let's say you're a child and you get in trouble you know when you're sitting there with your parents and they're coming fussing at you you know you just say but dad didn't you do something like that when you were younger you know didn't you used to get in trouble with pop pop you know what happened you know, you know, and then that helps them to open the door to say, I'm human. I'm just like you. I made mistakes, but you still going to get in trouble. But <laughs> when it happened to me, this is what happened. Your granddaddy, he did this, that and other to me. And I hated it. I didn't like the way it made me feel, you know, so you're you're like you're using open ended questions, but you're trying to learn them. And the best way to learn anyone is through questioning and stories, just like you said, you know, asking open ended questions. Most definitely. And Valeria, you're a very confident person now. You're the type of person that would be great to have at a party, great to work with and all that kind of stuff. But to that person out there who's listening and, and feeling a bit shy, for, for lack of a better word, or they don't really know how to come into the same level of confidence as you, what advice would you give them? Hey, first of all, it is, a, it, it is not one of those sprints. It takes time. It took me a long time. Like I told you, at 23, I got my voice back, but that doesn't mean that I was all powerful and strong. It took me years to get where I am. It took me going through. And even after I got that, not medium, but I got that little strong like 65, <laughs> 70%, I still, you know, I still struggle with things. And sometimes I do. And it, even right now, you know, you, you listen to me, you was like, oh, she sounds so confident and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. I've learned how to act. I have learned how to, you know, I use my personality, you know, I use jokes. I I found that those are things work for me. But there are times when I'm at a party, I'm somewhere and that little girl is still inside of me and she wants to go over in the corner and sit and just be quiet. But my self dialogue, what I tell myself comes up and say, you get yourself right out of there. If they don't like you, that's on them because you are fabulous. They are missing out. And I use my internal dialogue and it comes up and it just pushes me to go. And that goes back to what I said. 
Tell yourself what you want to hear. If you want to be able to go out to a party and have a, and you're shy, you tell yourself everything you want somebody at that party to tell you. You tell yourself, girl, you the best dancer on the floor. Girl, you rock that dress. You tell yourself all of that. When you get to that party and you don't feel like you're being received, your internal dialogue, your internal dialogue is going to say, girl, get out on that floor. It don't matter what these people think. Listen, I'm having myself a ball. When I leave, I'm going to know that I had a ball. I don't care what y'all think. And what are the odds I'm going to see all y'all again in my life anyway? <laughs> and if I do, whatever. Hey, boo, how you doing? <laughs> Where can the people find you online? So my name is Miss V the Storyteller. I have a podcast that's called Miss V the Storyteller Podcast. You can listen on Spotify, Apple, and Google. I also am Miss V the Storyteller on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. So my name is Vita Storyteller links you to me everywhere. And then my email address for anyone who wants to, you know, wants me to come and speak or, you know, even if you are a person with a business, I help you to find your story. Everyone needs a story for personal branding or anything because people connect to stories. So I help you find that story. I help you to put it on your web page, wherever you need to be. So when people read it, they know about you and then they trust you and then they want to buy your products or whatever. So um, you can email me at Val, I'll, I'll spell it because Lord knows my name is different. So <laughs> <laughs> let me spell it. And you did an amazing job saying my name because most people get it wrong. But, you know, I like Miss V. It's easy on everybody. But anyway, V-A-L-I-S-O-N-E-L-L-I-O-T at gmail.com. And my book is called Ooh, Living in the Key of Joy. And it's on Amazon. But if you want a signed copy, email me and I'll send it to you. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.